but today I want us to talk about what you see on the screen behind me, and that is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, there are a lot of people who would take this, this passage that Jesus drops on us, the way, the truth, and the life, and they'd say, well, you know what? Your Jesus is just too exclusive. How could anybody say they're the only way to heaven? How could anyone claim, and especially in this pluralistic world we live in, how could anybody say there's only one way to heaven? Well, Jesus makes the statement that he is the way because he is the truth, and only through him do we find life. But have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why does God, a loving God, the creator of all things, why does he allow suffering in this world? Isn't that a fair question? Why does God allow suffering in this world? I get it all the time. Uh, as a, a family comes in, they've lost a loved one, maybe prematurely, and it's like, why does God allow this to happen? Well, part of it is because if we didn't experience some degree of suffering, we would just blow through life and not recognize our need for a savior. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the reason for all suffering. Oftentimes, we create our own. But the fact is, without suffering, many of us would never find a need. Like when you think about Jesus in the New Testament, when he shows up on the scene and he's preaching and teaching and he's healing, apart from him healing people and preaching a new way in which he offers through repentance salvation, without that, without that suffering, those folks may not have had an open ear to hear what Jesus offers, including eternal life and life in abundance. But he does this by revealing to us his identity. Now, when, when I started preparing this sermon weeks ago, I thought to myself, I wonder how many people could identify with Jesus's identity. So I looked up the definition on, on, on just online on Merriam-Webster, and I wanted to see what they had to say about identity. You guys, go ahead and hit that slide for me. And in that definition of identity, part of what they try to offer are some critical things like, I know they're up there, guys. Can you hit them for me? There you go. The distinguishing character or personality of an individual. So Jesus is saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. These are the distinguishing characteristics of his personality. Keep going until that whole thing's built out, fellas. The condition of being the same with something described or asserted. Jesus says that the only way to the Father is through him. The condition of being the same with what? Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Sameness of a central or general characteristic. Well, he's saying, but... The Father and I, the only way you get to God, the only way that you get right with God, the only way that you and God intermingle at a level in which he accepts you through me and sameness and all that constitutes the objective reality of a thing, oneness. Now, the scriptures are pretty clear about this. The scriptures say over here in John chapter 10, it says over in verse 30, the Father and I are one. This is Jesus' words. Jesus is saying, if you're wondering about my identity, if you want to know who I am, what I am, and why I can make the claim, it is because God the Father and I are the same. Jesus is saying to them clearly and saying to us clearly today, I am the only way because I am all truth and I can offer you life in abundance today and a life eternal forever. 
And so the claim that comes here is because he and God are one, knowing that Jesus has been with us from the very beginning of time, and Jesus will be with us throughout all eternity. And so Jesus is saying, not only are the Father and I one, but I want you to recognize that need. So Jesus in chapter 14 of John says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and listen to the rest of it. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, this is where folks get completely freaked out. Because in our society today, none of us want to say, okay, there's only one way. We want to say, no, all these roads lead to the same place. All these roads get us to the same top of the mountain. And Jesus is saying, no, they don't. Jesus is saying, here's the problem. The problem is we all want to try to be good. We all want to try to look the part and we all want to talk the part and we all want to try to feel like because we're good enough, we are all going to wind up in the same place. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not true. Jesus is saying, I came to this earth filled with sorrow and suffering. I came and I offered a whole new way. And the whole new way was that you didn't have to try to maintain all the rules so that you and God could be together. He came and said, it's this simple. If you love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love others as you love yourself, then everything else doesn't matter until you get that right. But he, he, he doubles down and says, but, but hear me, I'm the only way. I'm going to be with the Father upon my, resu- upon my res- resurrection. And as I sit there, I'm praying for you so that you can know I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. But there are two things that Jesus begins to have a conversation with about his disciples that is applicable to you and me. And that's where the meat of our text is found today in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, what we find is that Jesus who is in Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is getting ready to start his march from there all the way to Jerusalem and the cross. And as Jesus is walking along with his disciples, he asks them an incredible question. And then he gives them the definition of what he's about to do. Now watch this. The question that Jesus asks is the same question he asks of me and you today. Jesus today is asking you the same question he asked them at that time, and he's still doing what he started back then. So in in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, those three words, son of man, I bet if we lined up a hundred sugar hillians and said, tell me what Jesus means when he refers to himself as the son of man, I think most of our answers would be, uh, because that's a difficult one to wrap our head around. How could Jesus who is the son of the living God, how could Jesus, who left heaven and the grandeur of heaven, how could Jesus, who was the word when it all began, who was Jesus when the word is God and was God? Knowing that the word is Jesus himself. How is that possible that Jesus would say to him, I'm, I'm the son of man? Why would he say, I'm not the son of God, but I'm the son of man? Well, first of all, let's go back to the identity. Who, do I, who did he identify with? He identified with God, the Father. He said, I am the Son, 
Now watch this. If you read this literally, you would read it like this. I am the son of a man. And then in that concept, I am the son of a man, he is saying, I am the son, yes, of a man. How? Because Jesus wasn't ready for the fulfillment of his ministry yet. He wasn't ready for people to say and come in the, in the Pharisees and the religious leaders to claim blasphemy over his name. So he said, I am a son, yes, of a man. Yes. Because let's face it, Joseph helped grow him up as a little boy. But literally, he is the son of, the God, son of God. And we're about to find out why. He says, well, who do people say? They said in verse 14, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Huh. I bet if you went down to the Mall of Georgia today and you just stopped and had a booth there and you were an extroverted enough person to ask everybody that came by, just, hey, who do you think Jesus is? I was in Target yesterday, and I'm just walking down the aisle, and this kid comes up to me and says, hey, how are you? My name's Ken. What's up with you today? And I thought, not you. And you're just a little too happy for me. I'm in a hurry, you know? And, and it wasn't very pastoral at all because I was supposed to stop and say, do you know for sure if you were to die, you go to heaven today? And I just, I just wanted to brush him aside. I got stuff to do, Ken. And then Ken looked at me, and he said, who's your cell phone with? And now this is the happiest human I've ever met about cell phones. So I just thought this will be fun. So I just stopped and I said, hey, Ken, I'm Chuck. He was so happy. I mean, he was just so happy. He said, did you know AT&T would save you money? I said, no, I've been a customer for 10 years. He hasn't saved me money yet. How could that possibly be? He said, do you bundle your services? And I thought, it's flow from Progressive. So after a while, I said, Ken, do you go to church anywhere? No. Let me tell you about a great church you ought to go to. It won't save you money, but it will save you from hell. He totally bailed out. Right? I mean, totally worst soul-winning experience in my life. I mean, who would say that, right? Somebody that was in a hurry and wanted Ken to know that I'd hurt him. But when Jesus says, who do people say you are? The, the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're the prophets. I believe that the Mall of Georgia people would say the same thing. Well, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. We ought to follow the model of Jesus. I mean, even Gandhi said, I don't have a problem with your Christ. I just have a problem with your Christians who don't act much like Christ. Ouch. Jesus came along and said, who do they say that I am? And along the way, they say, but this is the problem. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Now we're getting personal. It's one thing for me to ask you, hey, who do people around Sugar Hill, around Swanee, around, around Cumming, uh, uh, around Buford, who, who do those people out there say 
that Jesus is. And you can say, well, I tell you, people out there say he's this, he's a good man, he's a good prophet, he's worthy of following. We ought to learn from the ways of Jesus. But then Jesus turns everything around and he says, yeah, but who do you individually, who do you say I am? Now watch this because what the rest of the world thinks about Jesus is indeed important. But it doesn't become important until you can answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? Because if you can't answer in the affirmative who Jesus is, then you are part of the rest of the world who would say, well, he's a prophet, he's a good man, he's a good teacher, we ought to follow his example, but he's not the way, the truth, and the life. I love it because Simon Peter says in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, Peter, if you remember, Peter, when he selected to be a disciple, he wouldn't have made any of our top 10 selections. If you and I were picking disciples for Jesus, none of us would have picked Peter. Peter was just an old rough cussing fisherman that that probably drank too much, that probably fiddled around too much. I mean, Peter was just absolute bull in a china shop. Everything Peter did was loud and often wrong. Everything Peter did, the whole world could see. When Peter thought, he thought out loud. When Peter dreamed, he dreamed big. But he was the same guy that walked out on the water too. He was the same guy that at the gate beautiful said, hey, look at us. Peter was the same guy who answered in the affirmative when Jesus says, who do you say I am? Among all the others, Jesus said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now the statement there, the Messiah, now that's a major claim because the entire Jewish nation at the time has, has been waiting for the Messiah and they missed him altogether. And, and Peter is saying, You know, in the midst of everything going on in our world, and by the way, at that point, at first century Judaism, at that point, they had massive problems with racism. They had massive problems with the government. They had incredibly difficult problems with education. They were totally at odds with almost anybody and everybody. Spies were everywhere. Had they had Facebook at the time, it would have been horrible. Is it not crazy that in 2021, we're still in the same position? And could I stop and say it's because the world hasn't come to grips with the answer to the question, who do you say I am? Because at the end of the day, until such time as we know who he is, nothing changes in our world. I was talking with a fellow out in Salt Lake City when we were there for Ethan's wedding and we were talking about our church and he said, well, what do you think is unique about your church? I said, I don't know if there's anything unique about Sugar Hill except we believe this one thing to the core, that when you get Jesus in the right priority of your life, you will get life right. But until you do, you're going to flounder in this life over and over and over and over and over again. And he said, but that doesn't sound unique. I said, well, the uniqueness is we're not going to stop preaching Jesus until everybody in Sugar Hill comes to know he is Lord, he is Messiah, and he is the son of the living God. You see, that's what we do. But let me, let me, let me ask you a question. Is that what you do? Like right now, as you sit there in this chair, or maybe at home or in a hotel or wherever you're watching it, Are you answering the question, who does Jesus say that he is? Well, he says the son of man, but he also said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, that me and God the Father are one. So who do you say he is? 
Now, here's the miracle found in Peter's declaration. At no point up until this time has Jesus said to Peter or the disciples, I'm the son of the living God or the Messiah. At no point is that happening. Look what, what, look what Jesus has to say in verse 17. You are blessed, Simon, son of John. By the way, Simon, son of John, he's talking to Peter here. All right, he's about to give him his new name. He's about to drop something on Simon here. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, you did not learn this from any human being. Jesus is saying, while you were here on this earth, I didn't tell you that. The other disciples didn't tell you that. A book didn't tell you that. A priest didn't tell you that. A prophet didn't tell you that. You knew that, and this is miraculous. When people ask me today, why is it that Jesus doesn't have miracles like we read in the New Testament? I would argue that miracles happen every day. I would argue that miracles happen in our life nonstop. This is a miracle that's happening in the middle of Peter's life. We're just like the people then. We love the show. Show me a blind man that can see. Show me a man that can't walk, that's walked. Show me a leper that's clean. But here's a miracle that he didn't know any of that. The only way it's revealed to him is the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God saying to Peter's life, that person who's asking you right now, who do you say I am, is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, the first statement, the Messiah, would have been huge to the Jewish people at the time and still will be. But when he says you're the Son of the living God, he's making two statements. He is affirming what Jesus has already said, that he and the Father are one and that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he is the only way to the Father. So when you look at your life and I ask the question, who do you say Jesus is? The question that you've got to wrestle with is, is he your Messiah? Is he your way? Is he your truth? And through him, do you find life? And without that, we haven't settled the most intimate and critical question of our day. You say, well, Chuck, I got to tell you, the most, most important thing I've got right now is my marriage. My marriage is falling apart. Well, at the end of the day, that marriage has one great hope. You know what it's found in? In Christ alone. Well, Chuck, I got my family's just a disaster. I got to get my family together. You know where the answer is? In Christ alone. You say, well, Chuck, I've got to be able to kick this habit. I've got to get out of this addiction. Well, the greatest way to do that is through Christ and Christ alone. But we have to make that choice. You have to make that choice. The church can't make it for you. A priest can't make it for you. A pastor can't make it for you. You make that choice. God came to save you. He came to be your Messiah. You say, well, Chuck, you know, I, I feel like that's an intimate and personal thing. You doggone right it is. It is so personal. It is so personal that you must deal with the answer to this question. Is he your Messiah? Oh, my. In verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, this is one of the greatest statements, but it's also one in which we get so confused. Jesus, Jesus says, Simon, from now on, you're going to be Petros. 
In the Greek, it would not mean solid rock. It would mean pebble. He would say, hey, Peter, from now on, you're pebble. We're going to know you as pebbles. Now, just think about that. If you watch the Flintstones, that's not good. I mean, if you read about Peter the rest of your life and you feed about fruity pebbles, that's not good. Which, by the way, that's the nastiest cereal. I mean, Fruit Loops are so much better. But beyond that, one of the great challenges here is this, that Peter, you are Petros. You are a pebble. But Jesus is saying, but I'm the foundation. I'm the cornerstone. I'm going to build this church with you, but we're going to build it on me. Jesus is saying that this is my church. This is not Peter's church. This is not St. Peter's church. This is not the Pope's church. This is not a priest's church. This is not a pastor's church. This is his church. And he says, Peter, you might be wildly successful, but who's going to build the church? Jesus says, I'm going to build the church. Jesus is still building his church. You see, the first question is, who do you say Jesus is? And right behind that is, I want to remind you, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to use y'all to do it. Jesus is stepping out and saying, you see, first thing you do is settle who I am. And when you settle who I am in your life, then you join me in my church and together on my foundation, knowing I'm the cornerstone, we are going to build my church. But who's going to do the heavy lifting? Jesus. You ever, you ever made this statement or said this statement about some pastor or preacher? Well, he saved me. She saved me. Well, you couldn't have a more inaccurate statement in the world. If you happen to get saved while I am preaching, that same Jesus saved you, not me. All I did was introduce you to the truth. All I did was introduce you to the way. All I did was introduce you to life. I introduced you to life in abundance and life eternal. I didn't save a soul. You know how I know that? Because I don't have the ability and neither do you. Now watch this. And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Come on. I will never forget the first time my dad handed me the keys to his car. Y'all know what I'm talking about? My dad had a Ranchero GT500 with four on the four and a non-slip differential. That was a bad boy. And I'll never forget backing up so slowly out of the driveway, putting it in first and popping the clutch and turning those bad boys and leaving that mark. And there were no cell phones, so dad couldn't find me. And I'm... I made the mistake of bringing it home empty. That was the last time I drove my dad's car. You know what Jesus is saying to Peter? Because of your faith, because you understand your role, because you have recognized who I am and you have admitted who I am and you have chosen the fact that me and the Father are one and that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying, because of that faith and your understanding that I am your Messiah, that I am the Son of the living God, I am going to give you the, king, the keys of the kingdom. Whose kingdom? Jesus' kingdom. Where is that kingdom? All around. He is still building his kingdom and he lets us be a part of it. And every believer gets the keys. You say, but Chuck, I don't understand. Are they literal keys? 
No, because listen, what would happen is the Sadducees would try to unpack the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they would say the keys to God are found in the law in that book. And so they would refer to their truth as they understood it as the keys to the law. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you keys not to how to follow a law. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. He's saying to Peter, because of your belief, I'm giving you the whole load. Can you imagine what Peter's thinking right now? I'm not a Sadducee. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm just an old rough cussing fisherman. And you're going to give me the keys to the kingdom? Yes. And Jesus breaks out. It's like, I'm giving you the keys. Now, look right here. When you choose Jesus and you get him in the right priority of your life, he gives you the keys to the kingdom. And he says, I'm going to give you all the understanding you need to walk in righteousness and godliness and goodness. I'm going to give you every key you need to know how to do that. And you say, well, how do I know that? Because he told us exactly how to do it. He said, all those laws, all those rules that man has made up, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wash them away, and I want you to recognize that the keys to the kingdom give you this instruction. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love others as you love yourself. And until you get that right, Stop thinking you've done anything of value. Because apart from Christ, we offer nothing to this world. Well, it got a little better. And then Jesus says, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Whoo. You say, Chuck, that's one of those Bible verses I just don't get. Well, literally what, what Jesus is saying here is this. That I've given you authority, my church. I've given you authority to go share with the world the good news of the fact that I am the Messiah, the son of the living God. And if you will allow that power to spread in my power, knowing that you are in me and I am in you, that you have all the authority of heaven to do that. And I will loose that power so that it can happen. But if you choose to hang on to it and bind it and do nothing with it, then I'm going to allow you to sit there in a dying church where nobody wants to be a part of it. Nobody comes to faith in Christ. Nobody follows me in believer's baptism. Nobody goes to serve people. You can just sit there and have a country club because I'm going to allow you to choose how much of me you want. Here are the keys, and whatever you choose to do on earth, I, I'm going to let you do it. But now watch this. He's also talking about church discipline. You say, Chuck, I, we don't want to talk about that. Because if you knew everything I've done this past week, the church would need to discipline, discipline me. Did you, have you seen the stuff I did, Chuck, this week? Have you seen the stuff that I was about? If you, if you could see that, you would know you need to discipline me. Look at your pastor. If you knew everything I thought this week, you'd want to discipline me. You know how I know that? We are sinful people, and apart from living in the goodness of God, holding the keys to the kingdom and allowing him to let go so that we might serve him, we offer nothing. Friend, Jesus isn't just the cornerstone of the church. He is the very foundation of the church. He is the owner of the church. He is the head of the church. He is the leader of the church. He is the shepherd of the church. He and he alone is the reason for the church. 
There is no reason for us to gather apart from Jesus. There is nothing apart from Christ that we offer to anybody in this world. And you say, but Chuck, we do so many good things. We feed people and we care for people. We make sure people have places to live. And we make sure people who are in need get their their bills paid. And and Chuck, we do all this wonderful thing in our schools. And we're headed off uh, Wednesday to the Yucatan. And we got all these things that we're doing. And I would say to you, all of those are in vain apart for one thing, Jesus all these things we do chairs and air conditioning and carpet and summer in sugar hill sugar hill espanol and everything else at the schools and everything that happens care for aids whatever it is is all because of one thing we want to unloosen the power of jesus and the gospel of jesus christ to a world that is lost and dying and going to hell you know what my greatest concern is My greatest concern is that after 10 years here of being your pastor, that we, we forgot what the keys of the kingdom are. The, the keys are the understanding and the interpretation of God's laws. They were given to Peter and to every believer. And I think we took the keys and we put them in that drawer you have at home that has all that other junk that you don't know what to do with but you don't want to throw away. And about twice a year you rifle through it to find that one little key that you know you had to put there. And you come across this bundle of keys and you look at it and the only thing it says is it's engraved on the keys is kingdom. And we, we look at it and say, you know, it's been a year and my family hasn't shared Jesus with a soul. It's been a year and I've never told my dad about Jesus. It's been a year I've never told my brother or my sister about Jesus. It's been a year I never talked to my grandparent about Jesus. It's been a year and my neighbor hasn't a clue that I know Jesus. Because we took the keys of the kingdom and we locked them up in a drawer. And we fought it, forgot all about it. Because when we came to church, we sang a little bit. When we came to church, we got under a little bit of conviction. When we came to church, we did God a favor by giving him an hour and a half. When we came to church, we put up with this or we put up with that or we heard this or we heard that. And all the while, Jesus is saying, no, I'm giving you the authority given to every believer as the church to live in my power, I in you and you in me. So I have a question for you. Why do we not live like it? You say, but Chuck, listen, you're asking the impossible. Do you know how whacked out it is in America today? I mean, if if, if I say I'm a Christian, somebody's going to absolutely cancel me out of their life. Then wear it like a badge of honor. But Chuck, if I admit I'm a Christian, I'm going to lose my voice. No, you'll gain power. Jesus said, who do you say I am? Tu eres el Mesías, el Hijo del Dios viviente. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So I got a question for you. The 9 a.m. service on a Sunday morning that's rainy outside, it's in the middle of summer. 
you're coming back from us being two weeks online only, and you're here and you say, well, Chuck, I didn't come to church for you to drop all this on me. I just wanted you to encourage me a little bit. So let me encourage you a little bit. You got anything in your life you're suffering with? A grandchild, a child, a spouse, a wannabe spouse? I want to be a parent. I can't pay my bills. Dad's got cancer. Wife's got cancer. Surgeries and health problems on your horizon. Your work's falling apart. Maybe you're completely depressed or disconnected from the world. Maybe coming back from COVID has been harder than you thought. Maybe the world, you're just sick and tired. I had a fellow in my office this week said, Chuck, I don't know what to do with all my righteous anger. Every time I hear this, I get so angry. I looked at him and I said, why? He said, I don't know, but I just get so angry. And I thought, Satan's having a field day with our anger here. Listen, Satan is using CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and all those other outlets to simply get you riled up about stuff that doesn't matter about Jesus because all this junk that they're fighting over, the one solution is get Jesus right, the Messiah, the son of the living God. But that's all that matters. In the meantime, Satan's saying, let's fight about everything else. At the end of our conversation, I looked at him and I said, let me ask you a question. Who do you say Jesus is? And it's my question for you today. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, is, is he a prophet to you or a good teacher? Maybe a good example or... Maybe somebody I heard about, and, but I'm not, sure that, I'm not sure that I've got the keys to the kingdom, Chuck. I mean, I don't have the keys. It's just little old me. I gave my life to Jesus 40 years ago, but I, don't, I, I never got the keys. And all I'd say to you is, but are you sure you got Jesus right? I mean, are you certain down deep in your soul, you know that you know that you know that you have claimed Jesus is your Messiah, the one who left heaven came here, lived a sinless, perfect life, died so that you could have life, rose from the dead to welcome you into heaven and to give you the keys to the kingdom when you choose him and then say, I am the Father, are one, and I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you chose it. Welcome home, good and faithful servant. Are you ready with that? Well, Chuck, you know, I was baptized when I was 11. I didn't ask that. I ask, do you know that you know that you know that you've settled in your heart, Jesus is your Messiah, that you know deep in your heart he's the son of the living God, the Christ who left the grandeur of heaven and came to the filth of earth, born in a nasty stable, lived a life where people couldn't take him because he simply offered truth. He offered the way. He was offering life, but they liked the power that came with their knowledge. And he's saying, you don't have any power apart from me. Who do you say Jesus is? And if it's anything other than you're my Messiah who came for me, who died for me, who rose from the dead for me, who is sitting by the right hand of the Father praying for me right now, if there's anything other than that, then you don't have the keys to the kingdom and you don't know the way, the truth, and the life. So how about you? 
If this was the 11 o'clock service, I'd stop right now and I'd say, if you want to give your life to Christ, stand up. And you know what? Every time I do that at 11 o'clock, we have eight or ten people that'll stand up and they'll say, I chew Jesus. We have people saved yesterday at a funeral where I just said, do you want to choose Jesus? Sitting here in Jesus' church, in his chairs, hearing the message of his power, hearing the promise he made, you've got to settle right now because he doesn't promise you tomorrow. I did a funeral for a 51-year-old man killed in a head-on collision. Nobody saw that coming. You've got to settle that right now. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, Chuck, he's my Savior. And I trusted his death, burial, and resurrection to pay for my sin. And I'm going to put him in the right priority in my life because I know I need the way, I need the truth, and I need the life. And I know he and the Father are one, and I need to be right with God. And the only way I can do that is to trust him. And if that's the desire of your heart, then this is your prayer. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Forgive me. Be my Lord. And I'm so grateful you died and you rose from the dead to pay for my sin. Friend, if that's your prayer, I promise you, when you join in on that prayer, it's all about your heart. And I pray today you'd settle who Jesus is to you. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your glory, your kindness and your grace. That after all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, when we still are answering the question, who does Jesus, we're still saying things like prophets and good people and good teachers and Lord, give us the power, as Peter said, to be able to recognize in our life today, you are my Messiah, the son of the living God, that we might have the courage to ask you to step into our heart, step into our life, clean us up and make us new, follow you in believer's baptism, and picture your death, burial, and resurrection. And I pray we have men and women, children and students, both online and in the room, that would say, count me in on that, Chuck. I want the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe I thought I was set years ago, but I, I've never experienced the keys. Today, I want those keys. So we're going to do something a little unusual today. We, we never, ever do a walk forward invitation. We never do. And there's reasons for that, but today, I just feel led to go totally old school and I'm going to ask Zach and the band to sing it's an energetic song, it's a powerful song but as I'm just going to invite you today if, if today you say Chuck you know what I need to do, I need to come get on this altar in a posture prayer on my knees and I just need to ask God for the keys to the kingdom I need my life revived again I need to choose to live for Christ again I want to walk in the power of Christ just come to this altar it might be one of you, it might be 20 of you, I don't know, but just make your way to the altar when we start singing. But there's some of you, I'll guarantee you there are people in this room that right now are saying, I've never owned the keys to the kingdom and I've never once experienced the way, the truth, and life. And I'm going to ask you simply to come to me and let me pray with you. And there's some of you today, but man, you, you're in desperate need for the keys to the kingdom. So I'm going to ask you to have the courage today to step forward. 
I know we never do this. I know it's awkward, but I'm going to ask you to do it. Zach, let's sing a little bit. Y'all stand. When I find, find you want to come on to this altar? Come on. With my hands lifted Anybody else need to come to this altar today? To you. Everything in your life is good. There's nothing you need to lay before the Father. Nothing you need to lay at the altar. Everything in your life is just hunky-dory. You know, Jesus, I don't need you. But it's his battle. He'll take that on. He'll take that on. What about you? You want to keep fighting your own battle? You want the keys that lets him take it and says, I'll take that battle. I'll fight for you. I'll make you the most important thing in the world. I'm choosing you. I want you. I want you. Jesus is saying, I want you. church the the battle indeed belongs to the Lord but I, I, I can't get past this concept that as a church we still think it's about us we're worried about what time it is. We're worried about what time we get out. We're worried about, man, that was it. Chuck, I didn't want you to step on my toes. I wanted one of those light sermons. When I came back, it would just be fluffy and sweet. And I'd say to you, it doesn't get any fluffier and it doesn't get any sweeter than the kingdom keys. You say, well, Chuck, I don't want my toes stepped on. I promise you, I'm not the one stepping. God, we love you. God, I pray for our church that we have the courage to be a church that would never, ever, ever stop preaching Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. That we would never stop searching for the keys to your kingdom. That we would unloose your power and let the Spirit of God work within us to see people all around us come to know you as Messiah, the son of the living God. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen. God bless y'all. Go in peace.
faith arrives, let all agree, there's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe, come on, for greater things, there's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree, there's no power. Praise the Lord.